On this episode of AvTalk, the Kabul airlift ends, and the last U.S. military aircraft leaves Afghanistan after a 20-year war. Emirates brings forward its final A380 delivery, and Eastern Airlines is getting into the boxes business. Hello and welcome to episode 127 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Urbanowitz. Hello, Ian. How are Hello, you? Hello, Jason. I'm, I'm well, sir. How are you? Good. Good. I hear you might be leaving the house soon. I am not only leaving the house, I might be leaving the country. Wow. I know, but we'll see. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm it's it's September 1st, which means I am officially traveling this month. At least that's the plan. I'm not counting on any of this actually happening until it happens, given everything that that's going on. A wise stance at, these days. at the moment. Tentative plans put me traveling in 16 days. Uh, going to go out to Los Angeles for for the Dorkfest and Spot LAX. I, I hope uh, some of our listeners are are, are Planning on joining us for a, a wonderful outdoor event of plane spotting and hamburger eating, or uh, or whatever you choose to enjoy while you watch planes. And then there's a thing after that that is in the works that I think is going to be very neat, and that will uh, our, our wonderful podcast listeners will hear about after that happens. So some really exciting things in the works, and I'm excited to to be getting on a plane somewhere anywhere within a couple of weeks. That's great. Oh, looking forward to uh, Dorkfest Spot LAX. I'm going to be flying uh, United 76 out of JFK. So all of those are new things. And then if I'm lucky, a 78710 on the way back to Newark. So that's something to look forward to. I thought about doing that. I'm on a 757-300 on the way out. And then when I was booking my ticket, one of the options was the the Transcon to Newark on the 78710 and then back to Chicago. And I, I decided against it at the time, but I was I was seriously considering it. Well, I took them up on it. I actually switched from JFK over to Newark and saved $16. And hey. now I get to, yeah, money in the bank. The travel now you bank. can buy one fry at the airport. Exactly. Well, I'm arriving at Newark, so you know I'm probably not going to buy any fries there. But don't know what they charge for fries at LAX, but I guess I'll find out. <laughs> There's only one way to find out. I'm excited. It's a new month. It's a new school year. I'm excited. All of my kids are in school. We're recording and and I'm looking around going, and there's no screaming children anywhere in my house, which is- I don't uh, hear anything in the background. It's interesting and different. So if you too, listeners, have children who are in school, I'm happy for them. And and if not, hopefully they they will be soon. We've got, I guess, perhaps final-ish update on the, the situation in Afghanistan. The US-led Kabul airlift has come to an end. The last plane out was on the, the 31st of August, uh, I guess, local time. And uh, everyone from from the U.S. Uh, military is gone. The the Taliban has taken to to the airport. Had found a wide variety of, I guess, now former U.S. aircraft in various states of disablement and disrepair, and they are now at the airfield. 
But as as soon as they left, the new NOTAM went up for the Kabul airport as well as Afghanistan airspace generally. And it said, effective immediately, Hamid Karzai International Airport is uncontrolled. No air traffic control or airport services are available. Aircraft operating into, out of, or through the Kabul FIR and landing at the Kabul airport should use extreme caution and standard standard reporting procedures on CTAF 125.2. So if you want to fly into Afghanistan and land in Kabul, uh, good luck. Not a whole lot going on there right now. No. Have we seen a single aircraft come or go from Kabul since? I haven't the, haven't the seen anything. No. The last thing the, that we saw was the um, there was a Qatar Amiri C-17, the one that's the C-17 operated by Qatar that's painted in the Qatar Airways livery, not the standard kind of flat gray, but it wears the the is it maroon or whatever whatever color the the Qatar Airways Ibex is? It it wears it's the one that wears that livery, and, and that flew in on Monday, and I think that was the last um, the last flight other than U.S. Air Force aircraft that were leaving. Some updates on what happened before everything stopped that we talked about last week. Last week, we had talked about the flat white safe air company 727 cargo aircraft that was operating that we talked about it overflying Afghanistan straight straight up the middle, up through Afghanistan. And then it landed in, in Tajikistan and then it flew into Kabul. And Jason and I were, were both very confused by this uh, and kind of still are, but we know a little bit more about what it was up to. It was operated, and this is really interesting, it's operated by a husband and wife team, uh, the captain uh, Neil Style, who uh, flies the aircraft out of Kenya, answered a, a call to aircraft kind of a, is there a doctor on board for any available aircraft from the US State Department? And they said, sure, we're we're available. And so they flew up there with a with a stop in, in Muscat Oman. And then they evacuated people that had been associated with the, I guess, Afghan special forces as part of their military and evacuated them out to Tajikistan and then then they were carried onward. But the most interesting thing about this is this is a cargo 727 carrying over 300 people. Yeah, lots of questions about why this would have been a thing. I mean, the State Department or the Department of Defense said they threw they flew uh, 387 U.S. military C-17 and C-130 sorties and enabled another 391 non-U.S. military sorties, a total of 778 and evacuating 124,334 people. Why did the State Department need this 727 freighter to operate, what was it, two flights to Tajikistan for, for this particular group of uh, people evacuating Afghanistan? Very odd that they couldn't just be worked into the existing flights and that the State Department had to call on this 727 freighter to haul over 300 people. Many, many questions. I'm happy that it all worked out and whoever needed to be removed from the country were safely, but why? That plane was available. I mean, 
sure, but shouldn't have many other aircraft have been available as well? I, I, yeah, I, I, I have no, I have no answers for you. So if anyone out there has an answer, feel free to to write in. Uh, lots of people sent in a um, Tyler Rogway's article on the drive, and so he did some digging into this and and based some of his reporting uh, on a Mail and Globe article. Uh, so. So really interesting stuff. But yeah, if anyone has an idea why this particular craft or what was going on there, happy to to learn more. We also have the situation on the ground now where most countries are either banning their aircraft from operating into Afghanistan or saying that you can operate on that very specific airway in the very east of the country if you're overflying. But... For those who want to get into Afghanistan, namely relief flights and things like that, there's no insurance company that will insure your aircraft so that you can fly into Afghanistan at the moment, which makes getting relief supplies into Kabul or or any of the other cities in Afghanistan a very difficult task. Interesting article from, from Reuters today about the insurance market and how the rates had skyrocketed over the past week, week or two weeks, and how now there's basically no market for for insurance for for aircraft to go into Afghanistan. So it'll be interesting to see if governments are able to to get in there or or what. But hopefully, some aid can start making its way in. Yeah, I get it though. From an insurance standpoint, right now is the 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 airspace is totally uncontrolled. The airports are uncontrolled. There's no emergency services. There might not be fuel. There's really no services of any nature at these airports. I'm assuming. So if something goes wrong with your aircraft, you're almost certainly not going to be able to remove it from Afghanistan. And there are some airlines that are actually still filing flights to. Afghanistan, um, and specifically, it looks like uh, Pakistan International has still flights filed to Kabul, which will certainly not be operating. But there, there are airlines that do have regularly scheduled flights into Kabul that will not be happening for various obvious, very obvious reasons right now. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how long how long things take on the uncontrolled airspace front. There's been some movement on that where uh, Turkey has said that they've been asked for help. Qatar has said that they've been asked for help. It'll be interesting to see if either of those situations develop, if any of those cases come to fruition, who ends up actually operating the airports uh, in Afghanistan and if that kind of paves the way for for things to start moving again. But really, uh, the airspace is empty over Afghanistan. You know, and yeah. it, it completely, you know, just a complete reversal from two weeks ago. Yeah, there's uh, not much going on there right now. No. So let's take a, a real quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some news that broke today that is so confusing to us that we need we need a little help in understanding it. Uh, Gavin Werbeloff is going to join us. He's our resident numbers expert. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We now have our resident numbers expert, Gavin Werbeloff, joining us to talk about something that 
is just weird. Eastern Airlines, not to be confused with Eastern Airlines, uh, or any which of was the prior the, iterations. Of yeah, Eastern I think I think we're Airlines. on. Nine, version 19 of this, they put out a press release today that on the face of it makes very little sense. And so Gavin's just going to try and walk us through here what's going on. The press release is titled, Eastern Airlines Launches Eastern Air Cargo. Gavin, welcome back to the show. It's good to be back. Hey, Gavin. How Help are you? Figure well, out what Eastern it is. Airlines most recently noted for its participation in the CRAF operations. They are doing sort of COVID combis, but with a more permanent configuration. In their press release, they talked about Category E freighters. Those are freighters with a dedicated, isolated cargo compartment with their own fire suppression and detection systems. So they are free to carry more things than, say, those A340 600s that have been running back and forth between JFK and Bournemouth. But I guess the real question is, who are they going to be carrying things for? Because 35777s is a lot of airplanes. And Amazon comes to mind. And we know that Amazon's been trying to expand their cargo operations. And from what we can glean from the Eastern press release, it actually would be a good fit. And the reason is, is that we know that at entry into service, there will be no palletized loading system, meaning that they will need human beings to pick these boxes up and carry them onto the plane. And there will also be no cargo loading door, meaning that you can only get a three foot wide box through the door. So these things will take a long time to load and unload. And also, well, it's, it's a good thing they're calling it, you know, express freighter, though. I mean, maybe there's something to that. They, they, it's really slow to load, but they put express on the side of the plane. So it's fast. I, I mean, the people loading are going to run, obviously. <laughs> yes. They will be, they will be running quickly. up the stairs into the aircraft. So, yeah, and it's going to be low density cargo. The interesting thing is the sort of resurgence of air cargo in the era of COVID and sort of all this scrambling for package freighter capacity that we're seeing. This seems like a relatively cheap way to do it with airplanes that are well-suited to it. I think we've seen some other airlines or brand new entities purchase some A330s for this purpose. But the biggest problem with the A330 is the slope it has a nose down attitude when parked, which causes problems for it as a freighter, which is why the factory freighters have a nice little bump on the chin that you see. So there's that. And there's also the upcoming 777-300ER uh, freighter conversion program, which should have its first freighter out from the conversion line sometime towards the end of this year for type certification. And they've already announced a second line in Korea. So to the extent that Boeing is happy to have a use for old 777s, which for them means that there's less of them as an option for people to buy used, so they have to buy new, they're happy to have it. But I don't think this has you know, Boeing worried for the prospects of the current 777 freighter or a potential new 777 you know, 777X derived freighter, GCAS and IAI are not really worried about it as a real threat to the new 300 ERSF. It 
makes a lot of sense if you're shipping a lot of stuffed animals. Yeah, and to clarify, Eastern said they would be taking the 777 200, 200ER, and 300, but not the 300ER specifically. Yeah, I think the pr- the the used price of those is still too high for it to make sense for Eastern. I do kind of wonder if they're sourcing them from the likes of United and their Pratt powered ones. That would be a fun story, but I think those w- the we it remains to be seen. But yeah, these are sort of permanent COVID combis with extra fire extinguishers. What's interesting is that people have dug into the the company that's supposedly doing the work to convert these to temporary full-time status COVID combis, but it, it seems like the work is going to be done by in-house staff or at least a, a company owned by Eastern that nobody can find any legitimate information on, which is a whole other interesting twist to this odd story. Yeah, and they're going to need supplemental type certification for this because they are altering the fire suppression or adding fire suppression systems. So at some point, Boeing and the FAA are going to have to give this their blessing. So we shall see, you know, if you give the work to someone who is not proven and doesn't know what they are doing, you're not going to be able to fly the planes and it's going to be a very expensive flub. Well, they say uh, these will be available for general cargo sales, cargo charters, ACMI, wet leasing, and dry leasing, and they'll enter service in the first quarter of 2022, which isn't all that long from now. So that's a pretty quick turnaround to acquire these aircraft, do the modifications, get the STC, and put them into service. That seems ambitious, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it does, but if the modifications are as minimal as we think they are in terms of how long it will take to install these systems, which I have to imagine are fairly well established. It's going, the certification is going to take longer than the actual installation is my suspicion. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll keep following this because it's going to be interesting to see where these 35 777s come from. The 300 non-ER, that's a very limited feedstock. The 200 is a fairly limited feedstock. The 200ER kind of opens the door a little bit more. There are a lot of those around. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see where those come from. And then really the big question is is you know where where are they going to go? Who are they going to fly for? And are they going to have more of a dedicated customer base uh, like Gavin's suggesting or is this going to be a come one come all? Uh, and I, I think that'll be uh, the, the the two the two big questions, where they're coming from and where they're going, of course. Gavin, thanks so much for joining us and giving us a little insight here on a kind of out of left field announcement today. So, so thanks for coming on and giving us a little insight. No problem. Great to be with you guys. Thanks, Gavin. Welcome back. It is now time for huge news, giant news, super jumbo news. Super news, really. We're being strict by the definition of the aircraft type. I I will be strict indeed. Emirates is moving up the final delivery of its A380 order. Uh, It's got three left to take from Airbus. 
it had scheduled to take the last one at the beginning part of next year. It says, no, we want them all by November 2020. And then 2021. 2021. 2020 didn't happen. So I'm just assuming that it's oh, still okay. this year. Yeah. So it, it actually originally intended to bring the last A380 online in June 2022. So really mid but it will be doing so by the end of this year in November, and it will bring its total A380 fleet to, Ian, can you guess how many? 118.6. I don't think you guessed that. Maybe I did. You knew. You cheated. Maybe I knew. 118 (laughs) A380s, by far the largest fleet of A380s now or ever in this and any universe known to uh, humankind. I mean, I suppose if you had like a, a trillion dollar fortune and you wanted to spend it all on something and lose all of that money, you could develop the world's largest A380 fleet if you really tried. Sure. I mean, at some point, let's say five, 10 years, you could probably buy them real cheap. Yeah. So it's an attainable, so. stupid, but a, attainable goal. I am a fan of stupid but attainable goals. Okay. It's what, it's what I aim for. Or, or maybe some Saudi crown prince can do it. I don't know. They seem to like airplanes and have more money than they know what to do with. So it could happen. It could happen. So yeah, so the, the, the last delivery of the A380 to Emirates and the last new A380 delivery will still hold out, I don't know if it's hope or expectation or what, that at some point, someone on the secondary market will find a use for these things. Maybe once there's enough of them available and they can get picked up for even cheaper than they already are, it'll be possible. But Emirates is going to take their last one. Then the line is – well, the line's already closed. But but then it's everything's done and Airbus says uh, thank you all and, and turns off the lights on, on that particular chapter of its history. Yeah, just two months until the last delivery of any A380 ever new from Airbus. That's unfortunate. It really is. I mean, and we've talked about this on multiple occasions where the the A380 was both ahead of and behind its time. And and disappointing that it that airlines couldn't make it work and it never really got uh, never really got a fair shake, at least in my opinion. But it'll be around for a while because, I mean, it's going to take Emirates a long time to get around to retiring 118 A380s. Yeah, especially since it really doesn't have much else going on in its fleet. It's got 777-300ERs and that's that's it. So and it's got plenty of those too. So I mean, yeah, we, there, there's some time. But it's, you know, a, a milestone that we will surely mark when when it occurs. Hey, Jason. Hello. When you think of drone strikes, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Yeah, it's, it didn't happen. It's fake. It's, yeah. it's, it's uh, not a real thing. It's not a real thing. I mean, it is a real thing because there are a few documented cases, including a very recent one, where a police department drone was struck by a landing aircraft. But those are kind of the exceptions that prove the... I don't, I don't want to call it a rule, but standard where if a drone strike is is reported, the 
the news media, usually led by breathless local reporting, then says, you know, it was a drone strike. The aircraft was, you know, hit by a drone. The aircraft hit a drone. There was a drone, 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 drone. And then there's an actual investigation. And it turns out that it was a bird or a kite or a balloon. And in this case, an Envoy E-175 departing Chicago's O'Hare International Airport on runway 9 center struck something. That something was not a drone. It was a Mylar balloon. Mm, this seems to happen with alarming frequency. I mean, so here's the the interesting thing that I was thinking about today is how often were these things happening and not being reported because people weren't so vigilant because of the idea that they could hit a drone or not people, but pilots specifically. They were less vigilant about small objects on takeoff or landing because there's the very real possibility now that it could be a drone. Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm saying here? Yeah, it's fair. I mean, just the other day I was walking by a park here in Brooklyn and some people were launching, I guess, those little fire lantern thingies, the, the, the little lanterns that float with the fire and also some balloons. And we're kind of right under the visual approach to LaGuardia. So you shouldn't do that. But it wouldn't be unfathomable for one of those things to encounter an aircraft and for someone to say drone when really it's just a balloon or a lantern or whatever. It's probably been happening for decades and decades. But yeah, like you said, now the media and I guess pilots are thinking it could could very well be a drone, but it almost never is. Yeah. So, so in this case, it was a balloon. So I guess the moral of the story is don't let go of your balloon next to an airport. Yeah, stop it. There you go. Comac C919 to China Eastern by the end of the year. So says China Eastern in its report out this week. And the for me, the more interesting part of that kind of fleet report was that they're not expecting to take the max until 2023. So that to me was more interesting than saying they'll take delivery of the first C919 by the end of the year. So digging into that a little bit more and just just glancing at at that have not dug in as much as I want to, but those are the two top line items that that I thought were worth mentioning. That's interesting. I hadn't heard that about the C nine one nine or the Max. Seeing is that there are Chinese Eastern Maxes sitting out in, in Eastern Washington State right now, not flying because China hasn't approved them. But I would have expected that before. 2023 since they've been sitting out there for probably a year or two already. Yeah, so that's um going to dig into that one a little bit more and and we'll put a link in the in the show notes to some more reading, I guess we'll say. So the triple sevens that had been undergoing inspections based off of the airworthiness directive and instructions from the United triple seven that experienced the engine failure, it seems like there's been a setback. That's right. Uh, it seems that the FAA wants uh, a more robust procedure or, or a more robust engineering solution to prevent the kind of explosive force that kind of obliterated the, the cowling and the casing for the engine from happening again. And that will potentially push back the re-entry to service for these aircraft until at least 
the early next year. United was hoping to have these 777s in service to meet the incredible demand for travel summer of this year. So hopefully they have them back in service for summer of next year because it represents a, a pretty significant chunk of United's wide body fleet. Yeah, it, it sounds like that. I mean, it, definitely they've missed the window now, given the fact that travel demand's starting to decline already through the end of the year. Hopefully they can pick those up as, as soon as possible, and it'll be interesting to see how they start fitting them back in into the fleet. But it's you know it's. There's a lot of cowling redesign happening these days. It, it's interesting to me why this call kind of came to a head. It, it seems like it came to a head about now, kind of at the same time between the 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 seven thirty sevens, the the triple sevens. There's a, a lot of cowling redesign uh, happening. Yeah, turns out they're not as strong or resilient as they were designed to be, or or thought to be when they were designed. So we talked about Mexico's FAA safety rating, I think, what, three, four weeks ago now. It had been lowered and which prevented Mexican Airlines from adding service to the US. It now sounds like that's going to be, be brought back up is what you're telling me, Jason. Yeah. Well, not immediately. I think it was more than three, four weeks ago. It feels like months ago at this point. Okay. Yeah. What is time? Yeah, time is is meaningless these days. But uh, Mexico has retained the FAA to do some overhaul of its procedures, and it looks like they're hoping they could go back up to Category One by the first half of 2022, which is kind of an ambiguous term. Maybe maybe January, maybe June. We don't really know. But the FAA had concluded that that there were various things wrong with the Mexican oversight that um, they just were able to ensure that the Mexican airlines and airports were were up to snuff basically so that the FAA is providing experts and technical assistance and review progress to um, remedy this issue and get Mexico back up to category one or level one. Excellent. That, uh, sure. that yeah. all sounds good. Yeah. So, the Eastern thing that we talked about with Gavin was you know, very surprising. Along the same lines, Jet 2 has gone with the A321neo. They have never operated that type before. They have a, an existing fleet of, of 737. So what, what's going on here, Jason? Well, as you alluded to, Jet2 operates a, a quite a large but elderly fleet of 737s and some 75s, and this week announced that they would order 36 Airbus A321neo to expand and renew its fleet. And that is super interesting because, as you mentioned, Jet2 is a, a long-time and exclusive Boeing customer. Unlike Alaska Airlines, who claims to be proudly all Boeing, Jet2 actually was all Boeing, seemingly not too proud these days. And, and very surprising that Jet2 would differentiate its fleet with some Airbus aircraft since now it doesn't have a common type rating. They're going to have different engines, different type ratings, different pilot pools, different training procedures for the cabin crew. That's really surprising that they wouldn't have gone with the MAX, which would have required very minimal training. But also interesting that it's only 36 aircraft, so it's only going to be a modest percentage of that fleet. But that's 
really a huge loss for Boeing that such a loyal customer like Jet2 would not opt for the Max. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was very interesting, but they have... It, it's kind of a bridge airplane between the 737 and the 757. So it'll be interesting to see where they deploy them and on which routes are they going to use them to to add to their portfolio or are they going to just kind of replace and and then have a, a bit different mix there. I, I think that'll be the really interesting thing to, to see how they're going to figure that out. Yeah. It doesn't really need the range of the 321neo. So is it just capacity? Is it just an airline that wishes the 75 was still Coming off the production line, I, I don't know. Well, don't don't we all? But for for a variety of reasons, yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to to find out and find out at some point we will. For now, though, we shall leave it there. This has been episode one hundred and twenty-seven of Av Talk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with Jason Rubinowitz. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.